The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments, Season 3. Thank you for joining me on this journey into the odd, the weird, the strange. Hope you'll enjoy it. Now, on with the show. Good evening, everyone. This is Terry from Texas with another episode of Terry's Mysterious Moments. I thank you for understanding about needing time off last week. I just needed to gather myself together and get back on track. Well, let's go ahead and kick off this week's show. It may stretch into two parts. It's kind of a long study, so I just want to let you know in advance that there may be two parts, and if you miss something, wait till next week. It'll be there. I want to talk about some unsolved or weird happenings from state to state, things that may never, they've never found out why it happened They've never found out what happened. They've never found out who happened, maybe, in cases. So let's get started. With the great state of Alabama. You know Forrest Gump was from Greenbow, Alabama. But I'm not picking on Alabama. My family came through there. In Alabama, they have something called the Brasher Die Disappearance. The Die Brothers, Billy Howard and Robert disappeared in 1956 along with their cousin Dan Brasher. They were last seen leaving a relative's house in rural Jefferson County in a 1947 Green Ford. But no one even noticed they were missing because they were known to be heavy drinkers and often disappeared for days while sleeping off a binge. When a missing persons report was filed, investigators' questions were met with silence or tall tales. For example, a story of a bulldozer burying a car under a highway. The case remains unsolved. All right, let's go up to Alaska. The investor murders. Now, we're not talking about people who put money into something. This is a boat called the investor. In 1982, an $850,000 fishing boat named the investor was seen burning off the coast of Craig, Alaska. Inside, eight bodies were found. They were the owner, his pregnant wife, their two children, 
and four crewmen. They'd been shot to death and left to burn. One possible suspect was tried, but he's been acquitted due to a lack of hard evidence. Authorities still haven't determined a motive. The case is Alaska's biggest and most unsolved mystery. It's not a mystery how the Colthurst family, that's C-O-U-L-T-H-U-R-S-T, and I'm pronouncing it Colthurst family, and a group of teenage deckhands were killed on their fishing boat, the Investor, on September 6th of 1982 in the tiny southeast Alaska fishing village of Craig. What remains unknown, more than 35 years later, is who did it and why. Quoting a gentleman named Dave Freeman, he said, You never stop thinking about them. And Freeman had grown up with Jerome Keown and Dave Moon, two of the massacre's eight victims. They were deckhands. Again quoting, The shock of losing everyone really tore up our town. They all had their whole lives in front of them, and they were just blown away. It's just such a shame and tragic for no reason. The slaying of skipper Mark Colthurst and his pregnant wife Irene, both 28, along with their children Kimberly, 5, and John, 4, and four deckhands, Chris Heyman, 18, Keon, Moon, and Mike Stewart, who are all 19, is still Alaska's worst unsolved mass homicide. Here are five things to know about the case. Number one, the killer moved in plain sight. Hours after shooting his victims with what police believe was a 22 caliber pistol or rifle, the gunman fired up the engines on the 58-foot, $850,000 investor, waving nonchalantly to a nearby skipper as he moved the vessel, with his victims' bodies inside, to a secluded bay a mile outside of town. He motored back to the weather-beaten docks in the investor's skiff, returning the next afternoon with a can of gasoline to set the craft ablaze before speeding back to town and then vanishing. Authorities would later describe the suspect as a white male in his early 20s with a pockmarked complexion. Quoting former Craig Police Chief Ray Shapley, he said, When I got there, and he means to the boat, black smoke was coming out of the wheelhouse, but there was nobody on deck. It made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Number two, the slain family celebrated soon before their death. Police said that Mark, who was based in Blaine, Washington, and his crew, arrived in the rowdy town of Craig, Alaska on September 5, 1982, shortly before the final days of the commercial fishing season. The ambitious, hard-working, and well-liked skipper had recently become the proud owner of one of the most expensive, high-tech commercial fishing boats of its kind in the region. Quoting Keon's older brother Brian, Every one of his crew wanted to be like Mark. He was one of the best skippers around. Hours before the family was killed, Mark and his wife and kids attended a birthday party thrown for him at a restaurant near the docks, returning around 9.30 p.m. as a storm began to rage. The killer then crept onto the investor in the darkness, police said, and executed his victims. Number three, the prime suspect has been exonerated. 
Two years passed before police arrested John Peel, who once worked for Mark and who had been working on another fishing boat and claimed to be asleep at the time of the killings, based on his similarity to sketches of the suspect. Peel's first trial in 1986 hinged on circumstantial evidence and lasted over six months. Prosecutors suggested he had committed the murders because of a falling out he had had with Mark. It ended in a hung jury. After being found not guilty in a retrial two years later, Peel filed a wrongful prosecution suit against the state to recoup his legal fees and was awarded a reported financial settlement of $900,000. Police are no longer looking for the killer. Tim Despain, who is a spokesman for the Alaska State Troopers, said the case is closed. But the investor slayings are hardly resolved. Former Bellingham, Washington Police Detective David McNeil said it was a pretty good investigation. And McNeil helped the Alaskan authorities investigate. They got the right guy, McNeil says. But just because someone is acquitted doesn't mean they're innocent. Just means there's not enough evidence to show guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Somebody out there knows what happened, Peel said after ten years of silence. Somebody was responsible for this, he says. Somebody out there knows what happened, but I'm not going to waste any more of my life on it. Number four, the motive was never clear. Craig's former police chief Shapley is convinced the killings were the result of a drug deal gone bad. I've heard a lot of talk that it was a drug boat, explains Shapley, who spent days sifting through the ashes on Investor for bone fragments and teeth. They say Craig floated on drugs in those days, but McNeil describes the drug angle as a bunch of bullcrap, quoting him. They charged the man they felt was responsible, and he was acquitted, he says. Number five, victims, friends, and family still live in the shadow of the crime. Those who knew Mark said he was born to fish. He was just an incredibly hard worker who always said he was going to retire by the time he was 50, and I never doubted it, recalls his younger sister, Laurie Hart. He always had irons in the fire, she says. He was making money. For decades, Hart was convinced of Peel's guilt, but her opinion changed last year after he agreed to meet with her and her sister at a local diner and answer their questions. I don't know if he actually is the one who pulled the trigger, Hart says, but I think he knows more than he's saying. For those whose lives were upended by the killings, including Peel, the case remains a painful cloud that refuses to lift. Says Freeman, who knew both Keon and Moon, it's hard to move on because there are just no answers. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. 
the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. Arizona. Searching for Robert Fisher. Robert William Fisher, born 1961, is one of the FBI's ten most wanted fugitives. He's wanted for the murder of his wife and two kids and for blowing up the house in which they lived in Scottsdale on April 10, 2001. Fisher, the only suspect in the case, disappeared the night of the fire and hasn't been seen since. It's possible he's committed suicide, but equally possible he's living under an assumed identity. The FBI is offering a $100,000 reward for information leading to his arrest. Bouncing over to Arkansas. Have you ever heard of the Gurdon Light? If you're from Arkansas, let me know. Let me know if you've heard of this. Ever since the 1930s, a floating light appears above the railroad tracks near Gurdon, sometime in late October. It's not in dispute whether the light appears because thousands of people have seen it. What remains a mystery is what causes the light. Some believe it's the ghost of William McLean, a railroad worker murdered in 1931, according to the Encyclopedia of Arkansas. Others believe it's a natural phenomenon caused by swamp gas or rock quartz beneath the land. It was featured on television's Unsolved Mysteries in 1994 and remains unsolved to this day. Bounce out to California. Did anyone survive the escape from Alcatraz? The supposedly escape-proof prison named for Alcatraz Island in San Francisco Bay claimed the lives of 33 prisoners who attempted to flee. But not necessarily John Anglin, Clarence Anglin, and Frank Morris. In 1962, they escaped through holes they drilled in the wall of their cell. Unfortunately, that's where the known part of the story ends. What happened next remains a mystery. Reads a portion of an FBI history of the investigation. The case was closed in 1979, but people, including the families of the escapees, still wonder. Now, I've heard various and sundry stories and suppositions on how they could have survived the open waters of San Francisco Bay to get to, to land. And there's a lot of, I guess, legitimate explanations on how they could have done it. Whether they really got out or not, I don't know. Let's go up to the mountains of Colorado with the Black Forest haunting. Within weeks of moving into their home in the Black Forest area of Colorado Springs, all hell broke loose for the Lee family. There were flashing lights, footsteps, orchestra music, strange smells, and even sightings of ghostly faces. The Lee family lives there to this day and still report the same phenomena. No one can explain what it is, although a Hopi shaman who was called in to consult claims the house is located on a, quote, rip in the space-time continuum, unquote, where spirits can move freely between worlds. That could be interesting. 
Let's go out to the East Coast to Connecticut. Connecticut. The Shallow Graves on New Haven Green. In 2012, Hurricane Sandy caused a tree to fall on New Haven Green. Tangled in the roots was a human skull, dating back around 200 years. An archaeological dig followed, yielding more body fragments as well as coffin nails. It's suspected that more than 5,000 bodies are buried under the green and that they might have been dragged out in the middle of the night, wrapped in a sheet, and buried in shallow, unmarked graves. Some theorize the people died during a terrible epidemic, though no one's sure of what. Well, given that theory, I surely wouldn't have been digging too interestedly. Let's go to the small state of Delaware. The inexplicable murder of Jane Marie Pritchard. Jane Marie Pritchard was conducting botany experiments in Blackbird State Forest in September of 1986 when she was shot to death. Campers stumbled across her body later. Many hunters were in the forest that day, but investigators quickly ruled out an accidental shooting. What they couldn't figure out and still haven't is why someone wanted Pritchard dead and who might have killed her. The case remains cold to this day. Ah, down to the New York retirement state of Florida. The spontaneous combustion of Mary Reeser. You know what spontaneous combustion is, don't you? Spontaneous human combustion. That's when bodies will just either go up in flames or have flames shoot out of parts of their body with no explanation. And sometimes the people live, sometimes the people die. This is one who died. In July of 1951, authorities found the body of 67-year-old Mary Reeser in her St. Petersburg apartment, or more accurately, the pile of mostly ash that once was Mary Reeser, except for part of her lower leg and some of her spine, which remained. Apparently, her body had been almost entirely cremated, which is mind-boggling when you consider that cremation requires three hours of burning in a 3,000-degree fire. Even more bizarre, only Reeser's body had burned. The rest of her apartment was intact, even a pile of newspapers beside her body. Let's go up a little bit to Georgia. The Bleeding House. I talked about Georgia in the last episode when I talked about the Georgia Guidestones, but this is something different. One night in 1987, Minnie Winston saw blood on the floor of her Atlanta house. Terrified, she ran to find her husband. He was fine, but there was more blood everywhere. On the walls, oozing from the floor, seeping up from under the kitchen appliances. She and her husband called the police who found no evidence of a break-in. What they were able to surmise was that the blood had come from a living human. No one has ever figured out where or whom the blood came from, though. That would, uh, that would wig me out, I think. Let's go up to the state of Idaho. Idaho has a history of strange mutilations. The towns of Jerome and Bliss have been plagued by bizarre mutilations since the 1970s. Human, cattle, and deer, with the genitals removed and the bodies drained entirely of blood, 
and no discernible footprints or other forensic evidence left at the scene. The official explanation by law enforcement is cult killings. But no arrest has ever been made and no cult has ever been identified. I remember when these things were going around, they were saying, oh, it's a devil-worshipping cult. Others say, oh, it's aliens. And I don't know which one it is. I don't know if it may be even a natural thing. Because I know there are ants that can clean a body up pretty quick. Be that as it may, there's no explanation. Illinois, the mad gasser of Mattoon. During the 1940s, law enforcement received more than two dozen cases of gassings in which the victims reported paralysis, coughing, nausea, and vomiting after smelling a strange noxious odor in their homes. No physical evidence was ever found, however, and the victims always survived. Some believe the attacks were a case of mass hysteria. Others believe the mad gasser actually existed or that the attacks were really the result of paranormal activity. Sorry, Mulder, the truth may not be out there. Indiana. Remember that old song, Indiana wants me. Anyway, the mysterious fire poltergeist in Indiana. I've heard of stories like this. I don't know if it connects to this one, but I've heard of stories like this. In 1941, a farmer in Odon, O-D-O-N, had breakfast with his family and then headed out to his barn to begin his chores. Then he noticed smoke coming out of an upstairs window in his house. He ran back and, with the help of the volunteer fire department, put out the fire in an upstairs bedroom, only to have another fire break out in another room. All day long, as soon as they put out one fire, another would start somewhere else in the house. Twenty-eight in all. Believing his house to be haunted by poltergeists, the farmer tore it down and built a new one. Intelligent thinking. The case of the fires was never determined. And there's no evidence if they happened in the new house either. Iowa, the birthplace of James Tiberius Kirk. Iowa, the boy with no appetite. In Cedar Falls, Iowa, there lives a boy who never gets hungry or thirsty. It all started in 2013 when the boy, Landon Jones, who had been completely fine up until then, came down with a bacterial infection in his left lung. Ever since then, he's never felt hunger or thirst. He only eats and drinks because he's reminded to do so. No one knows what caused this affliction. Kansas, the baffling disappearance of Randy Leach. In 1988, Randy Leach, a teenager from Leavenworth County, disappeared from a high school party and has never been found. What makes the case stranger is there have been rumors of satanic cult activity in the county in the days before Randy's disappearance, and the party site had been cleaned meticulously before investigators arrived. Soon after, it burned to the ground. Most people who have cooperated in the investigation have turned up dead, and county officials declined to pursue further leads. There are theories about what really happened that night, but we may never know the truth. 
In Kentucky, they had a meteor shower. No, not meteors in the sky. M-E-A-T-I-E-R, a meteor shower. Like I said, not a meteor shower, but a meteor shower. One day in 1876, over a farm in Kentucky, the sky rained down chunks of meat of indeterminate origin. Was it bear? Mutton? No one knew. The only explanation anyone has ever been able to offer is that the meat was the prey of vultures who had gorged themselves and then vomited it while flying overhead. You know Marie Laveau? The state of Louisiana. Or Louisiana. However you want to say it. The unknowable Marie Laveau. Marie Laveau lived in New Orleans at the turn of the 19th century and charmed, titillated, and unnerved the community with her practice of voodoo. Marie Laveau told fortunes and created potions and charms on request. She held spiritual ceremonies that led people to become possessed and she could also magically heal the sick. However, Stories of her feats have been passed along from one generation of voodoo practitioners to the next, making it impossible to know the truth behind the tales. Now, in other reading and checking the stories, there were more than one Marie Laveau. She had a daughter named Marie, who also used the name Marie Laveau. And I remember reading somewhere there may have been as many as three. So, I don't know about Marie Laveau. I do know the Bobby Bear song. Marie Laveau, you lovely witch. Give me a little potion that'll make me rich. Let's go up to Maine. And what happened to Sarah Ware? In 1898, the brutally beaten body of 52-year-old Sarah Ware was discovered in a wooded area of Bucksport. She had been missing for two weeks. Her killer is believed to have been a neighbor, but when the bloodstained hammer believed to be the murder weapon disappeared, the neighbor was acquitted. The case still haunts the town to this day, not just because the case was never solved, but also because the circumstances of her burial are so strange. Her head and body are buried separately, with no gravestone. Well, I think that's all I'll do for this week. We've got more to go. And uh, I'll be back next week with the finishing of the story. Thanks for coming along for this ride. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you'll listen regularly to Terry's Mysterious Moments on the RPA Network on Wednesdays. Thanks for being here. I enjoyed it. And I hope to see you all next week.